0: Hey, church family, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I know our family did. In fact, we're actually out of town right now, so we won't be in the services this weekend with you, but this series is amazing, rich in God. In fact, today, if you would help me welcome to the stage to bring the word, our very own Pastor Jack Clark. Come on, give him a hand as he comes. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Good morning. Good morning, Church on the Hill. How many of you are still digesting food from Thursday? And Friday's leftovers, for those of you that know me, you know that I love food, especially Thanksgiving. I love the turkey. I'll eat a whole turkey leg. I love the the dressing. I love the gravy. I've had more pecan pie in the last four days than the last four weeks. Because I still eat pecan pie year-round. It's so good. I love it. But I just eat more during Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving has come and gone, and I don't know if you've noticed, but Christmas is right around the corner. It doesn't matter if you're at a grocery store, a department store, a toy store, the shopping frenzy has begun, and Christmas is here. Um, My wife and I took the kids uh, with our grandparents to uh, Bass Pro Shops in Grapevine yesterday. My wife wanted pictures with the kids with Santa, and, and they've got the Gaylord. We were hoping to get pictures there, and the kids, you know, Sunday best, and and man, we are walking through Bass Pro Shops, and there are just gifts everywhere. Every aisle, in the middle of the aisle, I mean, it's just an extravaganza. And we've got three kids now, six, three, and one. My six-year-old here, Noah's here, and... And my wife and I were thinking, what do we get Noah this year, six-year-old? What do you get a six-year-old? And last year we got him a BB gun, so I'm thinking, you know, is he ready? Is he ready for his first rifle, you know, like a small rifle, like a .22? And my wife's like, no, he's not ready. And, uh, and then I heard my son tell Santa that he wanted a remote control boat that also fishes. And I don't know how that works, but I'm glad Santa's going to take care of that one, right? And so I uh, just started to think back, you know, what, what did I want as a six-year-old boy? You know, years ago, what, what did I want as a six-year-old kid? And it got me thinking about Christmases as a kid. And in my home, Christmases were awesome. They were huge. My parents worked really hard. Um, they worked so hard. And we were so busy throughout the year. They didn't, we didn't have the time to take a ton of trips and vacations and it almost seemed like my parents made up for it by having huge Christmases. So we'd either get one enormous gift, we'd get a series of a lot of gifts. I remember one year my brother and I got a brand new go kart. A go kart, not a big remote control car. We had a brand new go kart, and we were go kartless kids in the neighborhood for probably the next six months until Johnny got a bigger go kart. And you know how that works, right? But, uh, man, it was a blast, and there were other years, we had other gifts, but there was one Christmas that stood out above all the rest, and it happened to be when I was six years old. And so this one Christmas, my brother had just been born, There's about a five and a half, six year difference, it was Christmas Eve, I remember being cold outside, and my dad said, son, grab your coat, get in the car, I've got a big surprise for you. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, my dad knows how to do surprises. It's Christmas Eve. This is going to be awesome. So I grab my coat. I jet outside. It's freezing cold. We're in Katy, Texas, outside of Houston, right? It's 7 o'clock at night. I hop in the car, and we start driving. And I'm so excited. I'm thinking, you know, are we going to Toys R Us? Are we getting that, you know, big monster truck? You know, are we going to Astro World? How many of you guys remember Astro World? Any Astro World fans? Are we going to Astro World? Is it the holiday theme? Will we be getting funnel cakes, right? I didn't know what we were doing, but it didn't matter because I was with Dad and it was Christmas Eve and he had a surprise for me. So we're driving, right? 15, 20 minutes goes by. The excitement starts to wear down. Dad won't tell me where we're going, right? You can't break him. And finally we pull into downtown Houston. And I'm right in my mind, what in the world would there be in downtown Houston? Like, the museums are closed on Christmas Eve. I don't want to go to a museum. Dad, this is Christmas. And so we're driving, and then we pull into a neighborhood. And this neighborhood's different than my neighborhood. The houses aren't as nice. The streets aren't as taken care of, right? And I'm just wondering in my mind, where are we going? And about 45 minutes later, we pull into a driveway of a home. And this is before Craigslist, guys. This is before the five mile app. We're not there to buy something really cool on sale. We are at someone's house and it's eight o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. And I don't know what to say. My dad says, son, grab your coat, we're here. And so we get out of the car and we walk up to the door, we knock on the door and some strange man answers the door. Have no clue, I've never seen him before. In fact, he's kind of upset because it's eight o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. He goes, what are you guys doing? And my dad goes, sorry, sorry, sir, please forgive us. My name is Jack. My dad's name is Jack. My name is Jack. This is my son. And, uh, you know, the other day I was listening to the radio, and uh, they were talking about a couple of families that, you know, might have just needed a little bit of extra help this year. I called that radio station. They gave me your information. And we just wanted to bless your family with a check for $500. And I remember this guy was just, like, confused. He wasn't shocked. He was just confused. And almost out of habit, he just said, okay, well, you know, come on in, and I remember walking into this house, a really tiny house, the door led right into the kitchen, I remember as a six-year-old boy standing by these old cabinets with the hinges broken, the cabinets were broken, and I remember just thinking, what's going on, and all of a sudden this lady enters from the back, turns out to be the man's wife, she comes in, always, you know, a little upset, hey, what's going on in here, and my dad repeats himself, and basically says, "Ma'am, we just wanted to bless your family with a check for five hundred dollars, she hands this lady the check. As soon as she grabbed it, she starts weeping. She and her husband embrace. They're crying, right? And I'm sitting here watching this whole thing take place, and it's one of the coolest things I had ever seen. right? We were there another few minutes, maybe 10 at most. right? My dad may or may not have prayed with him. I don't know. We left on the way home. I didn't get ice cream. I didn't get a toy. That was the surprise. And at six years old, my dad planted a seed of generosity that completely marked how I looked at money, how I looked at life, how I looked at giving. And that happened at six, right? Pastor Adam has been taking us through a series called Rich in God. And Jesus taught that being rich in the things of God will last, while being rich in the things of the world will fade away. We've been talking about God's principles of prosperity. And remember, prosperity has way less to do with our financial status and way more to do with the flourishing of our health, and our relationships, and our peace, and our love, and our right standing with God. So last week, Pastor Adam talked about God's plan for us with tithes and offerings. This week, we're going to talk about God's plan for us to be generous. So part three of this series is called Biblical Generosity, and our key scripture today will be out of the book of Proverbs, If you have your Bibles with me, open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25. If you don't have it, it's on the screen. And it says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Generosity is a kingdom principle. Generosity is not just a spiritual gift for some believers. There is a spiritual gift of giving that some believers operate in, but as a whole, generosity is a kingdom principle that applies to everyone, and it doesn't matter your economic status. I have met poor people, and I mean poor people, who are extremely generous they will give the shirt off their backs. I've, I've done mission trips in the bush of Africa, and I've been in villages where their only source of income are a couple chickens that produce eggs. And they sell the eggs, and sometimes they eat the eggs. And missionaries will visit, and this village will take one of their maybe four chickens and sacrifice that chicken just for that missionary to have a meal. Right? I know some poor people that give so much away, it doesn't even make sense in my brain. The budget side of my brain says, what are you doing? How are you going to take care of your bills the next two weeks? But these same people never seem to worry. They always seem to be taken care of, and they're always happy, right? Some of you guys might know some wealthy people, legitimately wealthy people, right, who are also extremely generous. They give of their time. They give of their money. They give of their resources, their influence, right? In fact, most of them do so, and they do it anonymously, you know, let's be honest. If some of us had millions of dollars to give away to a charity or church, we'd want our face in every brochure. You know, we'd want our name etched into every pew or chair, right? We'd have to check our motives, right? But I, I know wealthy people who just give and they give and they give and they give, right? But it doesn't matter if you're poor or you're wealthy. If I took all the generous people that I know and I compare them to all the people that aren't generous, of the time the generous people are more joyful, they're more excited about life, it never fails. I do not believe that there's a direct link between money and happiness, but I am very confident that there's a huge connection between generosity and happiness. My goal today is to help inspire you to become more generous And I hope that you actually experience and and sense and understand the joy that comes with generosity. So today, we're going to share four truths, four truths of biblical generosity, and then a couple practical tips that will help us all become more generous. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you and you alone are the epitome of generosity. You are the ultimate example of generosity, Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room, those watching via live stream. Father, I thank you that as we become more like you, especially in this area of generosity, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but God, we would become doers of your word. I pray that you would have your way in the hearts and the minds of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first truth of biblical generosity is this. Give to give, not give to get. Give to give, not give to get. Church on the Hill, what is your motive when you give? What is your motive? Do you give because you want recognition from others? Do you have to have your name on the brochure? Do you have to have your company's name on the banner? Right? Some of you know people that only give in big public settings. Right? They'll write the checks if it's a big charity auction. If it's a big gathering at a chamber event, right, big PTA meeting at the school, right, but if it's not in front of a lot of people, they're not writing the check. And if they ever were to write the check in private, you better believe they're going to be telling everybody about it over the next couple weeks, right? Is your motive when you give recognition from others? Is your motive when you give to build your own reputation? Are you out to make yourself look good? Are you out to build a brand? For yourself, on social media, or your company. I know companies that give only, only to give off a vibe that they give. Don't get me wrong, I know a lot of companies that do great things. In fact, there are men that I know that have built companies solely to to further the cause of great organizations. Right? But guys, I know that there are companies that only give just so they give off a certain image right? They don't really care about the cause they're supporting. They care that consumers know that they're supporting a cause. At best, it's manipulation or a marketing ploy. When you give, are you looking to build your own reputation? Or like most of us, because I know the Lord's still working this out in me, do we give to get? Do we give expecting some kind of return on investment? Right? Right? Giving is not the same as investing. When I invest in someone or something, I absolutely expect a return on my investment. If I put money in a stock after a certain period of time, I expect to get that money back and then some. But giving is different than investing. And there are a lot of Christians that still confuse the two. There are Christians that would only give away an old, beaten-down car expecting to get a much nicer one in return. There are Christians that will only support that random missionary expecting to get a raise or a promotion the next week at their job. And what happens when you give with that kind of expectation is it almost always leads to bitterness and resentment. Because when it doesn't happen the way you thought it should happen or wanted it to happen, then you no longer give, right? Or is your motive so pure that you give expecting nothing in return. And this is really hard to do. And the Lord's been working this out in me for 20 years and probably has quite a few years to go. But I can tell you this, when I meet someone or an organization that's figured that out, it's amazing to see what the Lord does. I think Gateway Church is a great example of that. I believe with all my heart that Gateway Church has figured out how to give just to give. When you look at all that they do for the community at large... The nights of worship, the freedom conferences, all the ministries, and they don't charge a penny for it, right? I promise you, Gateway Church is not expecting all these people to sow into their ministry. They're not expecting all these people to come to their church. Gateway's just figured out how to give to give. So the next time you give, I challenge you ask yourself, what is the motive behind your giving? And then the second thing you want to ask yourself is, how do you give? How do you give? Because the second truth of biblical giving and biblical generosity is to give with a cheerful heart. Give with a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, the New King James Version says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul was a missionary. Paul traveled all over the place. Planning churches, equipping churches, correcting churches, uh, encouraging churches, and in his travels, churches would support and give to his ministry. But you know what Paul never did? Paul never forced him to do it. Paul never twisted their arms. Paul never made them feel guilty. Paul knew the secret of living in plenty and in want. He was content. He didn't need it because he knew that God was his provider, right? But Paul. Said, let each one give as he purposes in his own heart. As believers, we have our own free will. We decide whether or not we're going to be generous. We decide whether or not we're going to give. We purpose it. We decide it in our own hearts. But Paul makes it pretty clear when you give, don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it grudgingly. What that means is don't do it out of sadness, don't just give out of grief. Don't just give when your emotions have been welled up to a certain point. Many of you know people who, you know, they might be blind to the needs of those around them, their community, their church, their own family. But if they're watching TV late at night, and that 90-second commercial about the starving iguanas in Ecuador starts playing... Those vertebrae are just a little bit too thin. You see his tongue coming out. And he can't quite catch the fly. Within 75 seconds, they're picking up their phone and giving $10 a month to the starving Ecuador, starving iguanas in Ecuador. Guys, I have no problem with iguanas, (laughs) right? But Paul's saying... When you give, don't just give when your emotions have been stirred and welled up to a certain point. Paul also says when you give, don't give under compulsion, which means don't just give because you feel pressured or forced to give. So, Many of you have probably been in a situation where you felt pressured or forced to give. I've been in that situation, and it's a rough situation, right? It's a real internal struggle. A couple years ago, I had a family member... It was going through a really tough time. Health-wise, finance-wise, it was a tough time. My wife and I, we've decided that family's important. When family's struggling, we're going to help. I mean, 99 times out of 100, we're the first responders. We're going to be there. We value family. But on this one particular occasion, I don't know why, but I just had this check in my spirit that we just weren't supposed to help this time. And when another family member started to make all the calls, right, hey, John, hey, Joe, hey, Bill, can you help, can you help? You know, I got the phone call, and I said, you know what, I just, I don't think this is something we're going to help out with this time. And I thought it was done. But over the next week, I got a barrage of text messages, phone calls, emails, scriptures quoted to me, right? Just a barrage of why aren't you, don't you understand, family's important. And it got to a point where it had nothing to do anymore with that family member or even what the money was going to be used for. It had everything to do with, I just couldn't make myself give from a place of feeling so forced to do so. Paul says when you give, don't do it grudgingly, don't do it under compulsion, but do it from a place of love. God desires a cheerful giver. Church on the Hill, when you give out of obligation, it is destructive, When you give out of a place of feeling that you have to or it's your duty, it is destructive. And it will lead to resentment. It will lead to bitterness. And it will lead to hatred in your heart for that person or that organization or that commercial or whatever. But when you give out of a place of love, it leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to freedom. And God makes it very clear. He says that he loves a cheerful giver. God's desire is that we as believers would use our own free will and to do so cheerfully. I've been coming to Church on the Hill with my wife for about eight years. It's been an amazing journey of growth, of friendships, of relationships, right? Um, A lot of maturing that's taken place along the way. Thank you, Jesus. And I remember eight years ago, I was sitting in the pews and... Pastor Adam, you know, was coming up here with Miss Jamie, and, you know, they were about to do the whole tithes and offerings thing. And I remember Pastor Adam, even eight years ago, almost like Pop reference. this morning, you know, he'd start clapping, all right, guys, let's get ready for your tithes and offerings. Woo! Right? And I remember in my mind eight years ago thinking, what is he doing? Is he revving us up? Is this hype? Like, I understand that it is an act of worship, but Really? But over the last eight years, as I've grown in my walk, and as I've understood the heart of the McCains and Church on the Hill and God's heart, I understand wholeheartedly that what he's doing is he's fostering a pure and joyful motive in us to become cheerful givers. That's what's taking place. And so now when it's tithes and offerings time, I really am one of those guys that's like, woo, baby, woo, baby. Woo, baby. And it's not like eight years ago when I was like, what's he trying to do here? What's going on? And that's something that developed over time. Third truth of biblical generosity is this. Sowing causes reaping. Sowing causes reaping. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is a principle of sowing and reaping. But catch this we don't sow to reap, we sow to sow. We don't give to get, we just give to give. But scripture's clear sowing does cause reaping. And Scripture is also clear that how much we sow affects how much we reap. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. When I read this a couple weeks ago, I thought to myself, I got this picture of a farmer. Okay, I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy through and through. right? But I did some research on farmers, and catch this. A typical field... Has a seed rate of two bushels per acre. I don't know how many seeds are in a bushel, but I know that there's a lot of seeds in a bushel, right? Pastor Jonathan said the seed rate, and that's wrong, I'm just kidding. And so all I know is this when the seed rate is too thin, when the farmer scatters too few seeds, it results in a poor use of the land. There's too much competition with the weeds. The weeds choke the crops out, and it produces a less than average harvest, right? Any farmer in the room would know that you don't just, you know, put a seed here and a seed there. You scatter handfuls of seeds. So catch this picture. If you're a farmer, and you've got your bag of seeds, and you're going down the row, and you're taking one seed, and you're putting it down, and you're walking, and taking one seed, and you're putting it down, and you feel the whole field with a, one little seed here and there, How could you possibly expect to have this huge, bountiful harvest? Even an average farmer will take handfuls and put handfuls every couple feet or so. Guys, our giving, our generosity is the same way. Are you so protective? Are you so protective with the resources that you have, whether a little or a lot, that you're only able to give a little seed here and a little seed there? Do you sow sparingly? Right? And I'm not just talking about with your money. I'm talking about with your time. I'm talking about with your connections, with your influence. Do you sow sparingly? Or do you throw handfuls out? Expecting and trusting that God will take care of you and that he can also take care of others through you. Which leads us to our fourth truth, my favorite. Generosity is the proof... It's the evidence, it's the proof of our trust in God and our love for other people. God is our provider. He is the source. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He is the supplier of seeds. And His supply is endless. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide for all of our needs according to His glorious riches. His supply is endless. And when you and I get that, when we understand that He is provider, that our Heavenly Father is provider, and that His supply is endless, it is so much easier to be generous because our trust is in Him and His endless supply. And not just in what's in our hand, and the number on our bank account, and in our own efforts to create more. And when we're able to trust him, he'll begin to open our eyes to the needs of others. And not only will he take care of us, but he can take care of others through us. My wife and I went to Christ for the Nations back in 2010. Okay, a couple years into it, you know, times were tough financially. I had a business business. I still had the business when I went to Christ for the Nations, but instead of working 60, 70 hours a week, at that point, I'm only working 20 hours a week because we're going to school full-time. We're putting in the 30, 40 hours. We're doing homework projects. You know, we want the full experience. We want everything that we could have gotten out of that three years, and I don't regret a minute of it. But in that three-year season, things were tight financially, and I remember one day, me and a buddy from, from Christ for the Nations, we were driving down the road. I had to run an errand. I had to go to the bank. And so we pull into the bank. It was the Chase Bank over off uh, Polk and 67, over there by Oak Cliff. And I remember pulling into the bank, and me and my buddy, we walked inside. It was like, are you kidding me? There was a line of nine or ten people waiting for the one teller that was working there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to sit here for 20 minutes at the bank. But I said, hey, at least my, my friend's here, and you know, we can talk shop and you know, have some fun. So we start waiting in line, and he and I are talking, and... Anyways, out of the you know, corner of my ear, not eye, but my ear, almost like a dog, ears perking up, you know, I catch this conversation that's happening about 20 feet away, and, and I look over and I see this sweet, sweet, old African-American woman, 75 years old, 95 pounds at best, right, just sweet lady, and I start to catch bits and pieces of her conversation. She's talking to the manager. She's saying, I think my account was compromised. Uh, You know, I lost some money. Someone stole something, lost $500. I'm I'm picking up bits and pieces, right? And I'm kind of watching this conversation and talking to my friend. And in the middle of all of it, I felt like the Lord said, give her $500. And in that second, I didn't question that it was the Lord. Like, I knew that I knew that I knew that it was the Lord. But then I immediately started rationalizing. God, things are tight. Things are tough this in the same season as 2 years ago i'm here with my friend i'm not here to deal with this and as i kept getting closer and closer to the teller i'm having this internal battle and i finally get to the front of the line and i resolved it in my heart it was god and i'm going to obey so i take care of my business and i pull out a withdrawal slip and i say here can you please take care of this and they gave me 500 bucks i turn around and she's gone. And I'm like, yes! I passed the test. Put this money right back in my account. Woo! And I looked over a little bit more, and she was still there. In <laughs> fact, now she was in a back office, right? The, the the manager's office, right? The glass windows, the the big you know, mahogany door with a mahogany desk. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I got to do this. And so I told my friend, I said, hey, one minute, I got to take care of one more thing. So I walk over to the door and knock on the door. No one says anything. I knock again. No one says anything. So I said, you know what, I'm just busting this door down. So I open the handle, open the door. Manager gets a little bit offended. He's like, hey, sir, excuse me. You know, we're having a meeting. What's going on? What are you doing? I go, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive my intrusion. But a few minutes ago, I was in line, and I was picking up on this conversation, and I just felt like I was supposed to help in some way, so I just wanted to give this sweet lady $500. And in that moment, this guy's just like trying to process everything. You know, he's already trying to figure out why did he barge into my office You know, who is this guy? Is he this lady's family? Does he know this lady? Like, he's just like spinning his wheels, right? But I put that money on the table, and that lady immediately starts bawling. And she stands up, and she puts her little arms around my neck, and I put my arms around her, and she starts shaking. She's crying. I'm crying. She's got snot on my chest. I got snot on her shoulder. I I feel the snot. And in what felt like five hours of embracing, I can't describe to you the joy that I felt in that moment. I've had fat commission checks. I've I've done big deals in business. But nothing compares to experience the joy of generosity. And we held each other for all of 30 seconds. She sits down. She's wiping snot, right? I'm wiping her snot. And that was it. And as I'm leaving, I turn around and say, Ma'am, I just want to let you know, Hey, God loves you, and he's going to take care of you. And that was it. And I left. Can I tell you what happened three months later? I did not get a raise. I did not get any kind of special bonus. No random check for $10,000 showed up in my mailbox. But guess what? My wife and I were taken care of. And that sweet lady was taken care of in that moment. When we put our trust in him as our provider, not only will he take care of you and me, but he can take care of others through us. A couple tips I want to share with you that can help us all become a little bit more generous, practical tips. Number one is you need to budget generosity. You need to put it in your budget. My wife and I, we budget our tithe. We budget our offerings. At the end of the year, we kind of evaluate, hey, do we want to keep helping them or do we need to shift it over here? We make that commitment. Um, We always give within our means. When we budget it, we give within our means, okay? Um, But we budget it. We're calculated in our giving, And I know there's plenty of people who, because they're not calculated and they're not intentional about it, it's just kind of always sporadic. And it's just here and there, and that's great. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I would challenge you to begin to budget your generosity. One of the goals that I have for my family is that we would be able, we would be in a position to budget what I call bless money. And what I mean by that is I would love, big picture, to have you know, $200, $300, $500 a month that's just allocated to blessing random people. When we're sitting at a restaurant, we see a family hurting, when we're in Walmart and you know, they're you know, having a hard time, I would love to be in a position to just be able to know that that's there for us to just bless people with, call it blessed money. Some of you here are in a position to be able to do that. I challenge you to, to, to reallocate your budget in 2019 and have some blessed money in there. But even for the plotter and planners, and I'm the best of the best plotters and planners, practical tip number two is we all have to stay open to the spontaneous. We have to stay open to it. Because it doesn't matter where you are, at any given moment, the Lord open your eyes to someone's need. And you've got to be able and willing to respond immediately out of obedience and give when he opens your eyes to give. And you'll learn as you grow in this that that you'll learn to distinguish and discern between what God's opening your eyes to and just what's kind of being put on the desk. But I challenge you to always stay open to the spontaneous. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Adam talked about the greed that's in all of us. It's in you. It's in me. It's that thing in us that says, I want more, and, and, and I don't want you to have what I have, and I want to fill my barns, and I don't want to share anything, right? In my experience... I believe that God uses generosity as the antidote to that greed. Of all the times that the Lord's asked me to help this person or that person, I believe that it's helped those people, but it's also helped me every single time to keep my own greed and my own selfish ambition in check. I believe that generosity is God's antidote to greed. And then the third tip, guys, is to become an ATM. You're like, what are you talking about? I challenge you to begin to see yourself as an ATM. Have you ever seen those big armored trucks pull up to an ATM and just start stacking it with cash? Right? You know, the the armed guards will get out of the car and, you know, they got six guns on them. And they've got, you know, stacks and stacks of cash and they start putting it in the machine I've always wondered, you know, how frequently do those trucks come around? Is it every week? Is it every two weeks? Right? I don't know, but it just seems like it's an endless supply of trucks with cash that fill that machine up. And then in turn, that machine will distribute cash to hundreds of people that it comes into contact with. I believe that God's called us to be living, breathing ATMs. He's the money truck. He's the never-ending supply that feeds us with resources. And I believe that it's our job to be conduits of his resources. And again, I'm not just talking about money, but of time, of love, of comfort, of encouragement. Right? When my pastor encourages me, I've got something to then disperse and distribute to the guy that I'm discipling in my small group. When I'm going through a tough time and Holy Spirit comforts me, I see a broken lady at Chipotle and I'm able to comfort her, right? I believe that we were designed to just be conduits, ATMs of His resources. And when we catch that, when we honor Him and see Him as provider and as Heavenly Father and we trust Him to take care of us, He will absolutely begin to use us to also help take care of the needs of those around us. As we close out, could you guys stand with me across the room? As a six-year-old boy, I watched my dad bless a family with $500, and it planted a seed of generosity in me. Can I tell you what my dad reaped? He reaped a life of wanting to do the same and being generous with others. Some of you may not have been raised in a home that had generosity modeled to you. Some of you might have been raised in a home where you had to fight for what you had. You absolutely protected what you had. You kept what you had. Right? but I'm hoping that even bits and pieces of this little 30 minutes today would plant a seed in you. So over the next 20 years, we as a church, we as a church would become known as some of the most generous people in the Metroplex. I believe for a church that's so generous with her community that the city is like, man, these guys, these guys know how to give. These guys know how to give in the schools, in the local businesses, in the restaurants. They're not here to take, they're here to give. And that starts with us. A couple weeks after I had given that sweet lady at the bank that money, I showed up to that bank, just do, taking care of business. And that manager stopped what he was doing. He was in the middle of a meeting. He paused that meeting, came out of his office, came up to me, and said, Sir, I haven't been able to really sleep over the last couple weeks. I really don't understand what happened. I've been in banking for 20 years and I've never, ever, ever, ever seen something like that take place. What was that all about? And I had five minutes to start talking to him about Jesus and about what he's done for me and about what he can do for you. And so I wanna pray over you right now and then Pastor Jonathan's gonna come up and close us out. But this is that time. This is that season of generosity. And I hope that it's not just this season. I hope it becomes a part of who we are and it's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing. So if you would bow your heads for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, again, you are the ultimate example of generosity. It's been said that no one can outgive you and it is so true. Father, you've modeled it to a T, And I pray that we as your sons and daughters would become more like you in that area. Father, I pray that when we give, if there are any impure motives, Father, would you purify our motives? Would you help us become givers that just give to give? And we don't give just expecting something in return. Father, would you help us become givers that give with a cheerful heart? Father, I'm so sorry for the the men and women here that have been manipulated. I'm so sorry for, for people that have done them wrong, businesses, churches. Father, I'm so sorry for how they've been done wrong and, and they've been forced to give and, and maybe they've given out of fear or, or almost in a way of paying penance or, or out of obligation because it was their duty. That's not your heart. Father, I pray that that would be broken off in Jesus' name. And I pray that, that we would become a people that become cheerful givers, that we understand and experience the joy of giving and of being generous. And Father, I pray that all of us would have a greater revelation of who you are as the source, as the supplier of seeds, as Jehovah Jireh. Father, I pray that you would become our source in all things, and that as we continue to trust you to take care of us and our families, that we can even trust you to help take care of others through us. I pray that Church on the Hill will be a people known as a generous people, In this city and the surrounding metroplex, in Jesus' name,
1: If you would just keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a few more minutes. We never want to have a gathering or a service where we don't give you the opportunity to receive the most generous gift of all, and that's the gift of salvation. See, Jesus Christ came down and, and he gave his life for you. There's one thing that we all have in common. It's the same thing that separates us from God, and that thing's called sin. And Jesus came and and laid his life down for us so that we have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And as Jack told that story before about how him and his father went to that house, and and they handed that, that couple that check, the check was theirs to have, but they had to receive it. See, the gift of salvation is free. And it is yours to have, but you have to receive it. The Bible's very easy, and it explains it, of what it takes to receive that salvation. It says that if you would simply believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then you shall be saved. So this morning, before we finish out our service, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that free, generous gift of salvation. So does anybody in here this morning say, Pastor Jonathan, I'd like, to, I'd like you to pray for me. That I may receive that gift right where you're at, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you, if you would just slip your hand up for me real quick so I know that who I'm praying with. You guys, just a few minutes. Here we go. Anybody in this room say, Pastor Jonathan, please pray for me this morning. You guys, just a few minutes. I see your hand up. Maybe I'll say that's me, Pastor John. to please pray for me this morning. Anybody else this morning? I see your hand. Anybody else? You say that's me, Pastor John please pray for me. I don't want to be labored a point, but I want to make sure that I give you ample opportunity. I'll give you five more seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. We saw a number of hands go up this morning. And the Bible doesn't say you have to lift your hand and then believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth. It simply says if you believe in your heart, man, then you confess with your mouth. So even if you didn't raise your hand this morning, I want everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me. And if you raise your hand and you, you met it this morning, man, then I want you to pray with all of your heart. Let's say it like this. Say, Jesus, this morning, I give you my life. Man, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need you. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit and I pray right now that I know that I'm yours and you are mine. I promise to do my best to live for you. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, I thank you, Father God. Lord, it's your generous gift, Father God, what it did for me. Lord, how much more to do for my friends in this room? That Lord Jesus, you took, man, a dirty sinner like myself, Father God. I mean, you dusted me off. You put your purpose in me, Lord Jesus, Father God, and you've prospered me, Lord Jesus. Lord, in my health, in my family, in my relationships. How much more, Lord, would you do for my friends? Lord, we thank you for your generous gift that you so selflessly gave, Father God. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray that you stir our hearts to be generous givers. In Jesus' name we pray.